Welcome to episode 82 of Honestly Unbalanced, where we chat to people that try to make your life, in some sense, a little bit better. If you are in the yoga world and have been for a while, and especially if you're a teacher, you will have heard of this week's guest, Tiffany Cruikshank, who is a founder of Yoga Medicine, which is a community of yoga teachers focused on fusing science and research with traditional yoga practices. Tapping into her medical background in acupuncture, Chinese medicine, sports medicine, and orthopedics, Tiffany's teaching is guided by a strong anatomical focus and her ability to convey a clear understanding of complex subjects. Tiffany's passion is training teachers to understand their inner workings of, of the body and to individualize therapeutic yoga practices. She has changed, not changed, <laughs> changed maybe as well, but she has definitely trained over 15,000 teachers around the world since 2002. Uh, she's also the founder of the Yoga Medicine Seva Foundation, which is a non-profit that works to fight human trafficking and sexual exploitation in India. Uh, and she's written two books, uh, runs a yoga medicine podcast, and uh, shares her practices weekly on yoga medicine online. This conversation isn't just for yoga teachers, it's for anyone with a vague interest in yoga, an interest in the body, an interest in the fusion of Western and Eastern medicine. All of you will enjoy it. Before we get started, just a little shout out to Try Yoga, which is where Tiffany normally teaches when she's in London. They've currently got an intro offer at the moment, which is seven classes for £35. So you can try seven different yoga classes at any Try Yoga Centre, uh, including Camden, Shoreditch, Chelsea and others. Uh, plus, most of their classes, not all, but most are streamed online live. Through yoga, you'll get improved mindfulness, mental resilience, mind-body-breath connection, reduced stress, self-acceptance and confidence, and obviously so much more. We're advocates of yoga in every episode. So if you haven't tried yoga and you're in London, try yoga is definitely the place to be. Now a few little shout-outs before we get started. First, I want you to acknowledge that most of your day is probably spent in shoes that squeeze your toes together and are artificially comfortable and padded and supported. And so really don't get much opportunity to wake your feet up. Even if you do yoga once a day, that's probably only 75 minutes of waking your feet up. So to get your feet more alert and awake and actually interacting with the world, barefoot shoes are the way forward and Viva Barefoot have been doing what they're doing for ages. In fact, we chatted to the founder, Galahad Clark, on like episode three of this podcast, uh, what feels like a long, long time ago. If you want 10% off any of the shoes at Viva Barefoot, code or caps Adam Hustler VB, so that's A-D-A-M-H-U-S-L-E-R-V-B, will get you that 10% off. And if you want something to wear whilst wearing your Viva Barefoot on top, then Colourful Standard is my current favourite clothing brand. That's Colourful Standard. They have actually what seems quite generic clothes, you know, tracksuit bottoms, baggy sweats, but amazing quality, really ethical, zero branding, and in like an obscene range of colours. Naturally, I mainly bought black and pink versions of their clothes, but I've been literally li living in their joggers and their oversized crews since I found out about them when I walked past their shop in Shoreditch. So code Adam Hustler CS10, that's A-D-A-M-H-U-S-L-E-R 
CS10 will get you 10% off anything on their website. And finally, if you want to practice with Holly and I on our online platform with hundreds of classes, sound journeys and more filmed in really high quality, then code HONEST25, all caps, H-O-N-E-S-T 25, will get you 25% off a single 12-month membership or a reoccurring membership until you decide to cancel it. But hopefully you won't. Anyway, enjoy the podcast now, guys. Honestly unbalanced. I would love you to look back at kind of your teenage or young self and to see the business you've created now. Did you ever think that you would have a business kind of called Yoga Medicine that is touching people around the globe with a charitable foundation? Was that ever on the radar? And what were your expectations of what you'd end up doing? (laughs) No, (laughs) that's the easy answer. I think it was one of those things that kind of builds over time. You know, I'm definitely someone who has goals and, and plans, but absolutely not. You know, you think back to those times and you're like, gosh, how did I get here? (laughs) Yeah, It's a long road though. So. On that on that note of kind of goals, it, I almost feel like from what you've said there, you've got kind of goals, but they're kind of or direction, but loosely held. And it's a time of year where people are setting goals and saying, I need to do this. I need to achieve this and a like. And I guess what's your approach to that? Do you set like objective goals and stick to them, whatever the cost, you know, or are you constantly adapting? And then how would you find the balance between moving in, in a direction, but equally being flexible enough to change, but also staying committed at the same time. Yeah, I definitely set goals and it's different every year. Sometimes they're like more broad and vague and sometimes they're very specific. Like this year, it's definitely more broad. I'm focusing on brain, which is mental health and Alzheimer's prevention. <laughs> that you, is, that, is, that, is that your brain? Is that on a personal level? Or is that... Yeah, that's thing? my goals this year. I mean, my dad went into memory care, so it's very present in my life right now. And so, yeah, so sometimes it's very general things like that. And sometimes it's very specific, measurable. For me, what's important is making goals. You know, New Year's is just a great time to reset. Everyone's, you get that momentum of everyone kind of having goals and resolutions. But for me, I have like a, a, thing in my phone calendar that repeats at the beginning of every month. So I check in and I recalculate those goals. If it seems like things are going in a different direction, I'm I'm changing it or um, you know, adapting it to what feels relevant. So it's not like it's set and if I don't hit it, it's a bad thing. It's just like if it's not going in that direction, then I need to shift and find what I want to be doing. And um yeah, I think it's it's malleable, but it's also very specific. It's also about, I think, getting goals that are realistic and attainable. <laughs> and, you know, you have that, like when you have really big goals, it just takes, you know, the one step and then the next step and then the next step. You still have to take steps mm. to get there. So, yeah, yes. it helps break it down. You said in one of your recent Instagram posts actually about how you were wanting to go into this year with a bit of a slower, steadier pace. So I'm just wondering, did anything inspire you to slow slow down a little bit? Yeah. Oh, yes. My dog passed away and it definitely was like a reset button for me. You know, I mean, I think things change. We have these big events in our life, whether that's a passing of a family member or a pet or my dad going into memory care. You know, life is always changing, whether you're 12 and you're thinking about your grandparents or great grandparents or you're in your 40s or 50s and thinking about yourself or your parents. Um, Yeah, I mean, I think it creates that that opening and that awareness to then step back and 
recalibrate what's important. Like mm. we get so lost in our to-do lists and the motions of our lives. I feel like it's really important to step back and take that perspective. <laughs> mm. You also talk a little bit about, um, I can't remember where I read it, but you said something about uh, uncertainty. And I was just, I was thinking about this concept because us as humans, we're, we're generally terrible at being with feelings of uncertainty and not knowing what's coming up in the future. So how do you manage feelings of uncertainty? And has this changed a lot for you over your years of yoga practice? That's a hard one. I mean, I think that's difficult regardless of where you are in your yoga practice. Mm -hmm. I know in terms of the last few decades of my life practicing yoga, it's been ups and downs. Mm. But I think the key for me is just leaning in, surrendering. Mm. I mean, realizing that there's there's some greater force than us out there, regardless of what your beliefs are, spiritual or religious, you know, or, or even atheist. You know, I think we can all agree that there's something bigger than us and that's out of our control and being someone who loves to plan and everything in its place it's it's an important reminder you know mm. that okay well it's out of my control in the surrender phase of our practice which is sometimes the most challenging <laughs> you said i i read i don't know if it was a, a blog piece or like but you said that joy was the whole game not the end game uh, do you remember saying that at some point or writing that? Joy, <laughs> joy was a whole game. We're like, going through all the emotions. I'm sure I did. <laughs> yeah, so you were saying, so joy was a whole game, not the end game. And it, it reminded me of a story. It was kind of like, it's uh, the idea that there's a little uh, fishing spot on a beautiful lake in America. A businessman goes to this fisherman and says to him, oh, you've got a really nice little setup here. You know, you're renting your fishing rods out. Maybe you could, maybe you could actually, you know, build a bigger shack and you know, start to charter some boats and build a big business and then you'll have time to do all the things you want. And he said, but all I want to do is fish and I can do that right now. <laughs> and, and I kind of re that really, really struck me in that often we want to achieve things. And actually the, 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 the result of those achievements are often things that we could do kind of anyway. So d d yeah. does that, how, how have you, it sounds like you kind of brought that idea into the start of this year that you're realizing what means something to you and slowing down and reflecting. Could you, well, I, I, I think that's the essence of the goals, you know, that you come back to, you know, the goals for me, allow me to live in the process. Mm. The joy mm. is now, right? That's we nice. can't like wait for the joy. We can't cultivate joy. Joy is now it's here. And so for me, goals are one way. I mean, everyone has different things that work for them. It's, it's a personal preference to some extent, but for me being able to write it down and have a plan, you know, and have the step-by-step -step process to get there allows me to really lean into those moments, which I think is the important part. And as you know, we go through the decades of our lives, I think we start to appreciate more and more how important it is to take it in mm. while you can, mm -hmm. you know, like mm -hmm. I said, I see my dad and, you know, his reality is very different. And it just makes me remember how important it is to just keep taking in those moments and enjoying it and relishing mm. it. <laughs> so people who, because obviously some people really struggle to find joy and you, and it's beautiful that you say, you know, joy is here now, but for someone that really does struggle, how, how would you, do you sort of have any tips or any exercises that you could suggest to someone who would love to tap into that feeling of joy, but just doesn't know how to? <laughs> I think it's a tough one. I mean, I, I mean, to be honest, I know for myself, I went through a pretty, pretty dark depressive phase after my dog passed mm -hmm. and with everything with my dad. And, you know, I think it's just finding it all the small things for me, 
yoga is such a great way to tap into it because I I personally feel a lot of joy just feeling my blood pumping through my veins and feeling that I have the the privilege of being able to move and breathe mm-hmm. and step through this life and breathe into it and take it in and, and even the privilege just to take an hour out of my day or a half hour out of my day to move and breathe. I mean, you, I know you guys have a baby, so you can probably- <laughs> Not so much at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> 10 minutes maybe. (laughs) This is kind of linked quite nicely into because I really wanted to ask you a bit about gratitude and I feel like what you described right there is just is practicing gratitude to access joy which I find to be a really powerful practice and it's quite instantaneous actually you don't really have to dig around too hard to find something to be grateful for and then the joy naturally comes from that place. So you speak a little bit about the science behind gratitude. And I know that a lot of people out there think, oh yeah, whatever, I'm thankful for my life, but there is actually a science behind it and how it changes the brain. Would you be open to explaining a little bit about it? <laughs> I'm well, I'm a huge fan and I think a lot of people are of gratitude. Mm. I mean, I know our brain is so hardwired toward the negatives, toward the threats, toward that response of, you know, the threats that are around us all the time now, you know, that are taking care of babies or dogs or parents or managing our schedules. And so I think our our brains are just so hardwired for the negatives that we really have to be able to reinforce the positives. And it does take some conscious maneuvering. And I I think gratitude for me, though, is one of those words that can can fall a little flat. Like there's some of these cliches that we talk about all the time. And so, you know, for me, what's most important is just feeling into that sense of gratitude or appreciation. Um, You know, like I said, same thing, like for this life, for this breath, for these moments, the seconds you get between naps or during naps. (laughs) I don't know if that's what you were asking, but. Well, I was just interested in a little bit of the science behind it because I'm terrible at explaining science. I hear it and I find it interesting, but then it just never lands for me. But um, but you're explaining a little bit about it on your Instagram, Uh, but don't worry if you don't don't remember it. (laughs) You know, it's funny because I feel like everyone thinks I'm so, I mean, so smart, you guys too, right? But the reality is our brains are so one segmented, (laughs) you know, you ask me these things and I have all these different categories in my brain, but you know what? I think we're all such brilliant brains and our society has this way of thinking that because we can pass tests or do certain types of information better than others that we're smarter. But the reality is each one of us has spent every second or every hour that we've waking hour of every day filling our brains with something, whether that's how to best take care of our child, mm-hmm. how to best take care of our body. My life has been full of how to best take care of my body and my mind and support my patients and students with mm-hmm. practices. And, you know, we're all rich with these life experiences and intelligence. It's just a matter of, of finding a way to connect to that. So, so yes, um, <laughs> It's it's there somewhere in some compartment of my brain. Don't worry, I'm, I totally understand like brain fog at the moment. I'm surprised I managed to string any sentences together. Yeah, my, 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 my students having an awful time at the moment. It's like you, when, when you lack sleep, yeah. you think you're fine, yeah. don't you? Yeah. You don't realise. Oh I, I heard well, maybe Matthew Walker was saying that the percentage of the population that can function well on less than eight hours sleep is rounded to the nearest whole number, 0%. Wow. And uh, you know, I think I'm performing well in class, not realizing like lefts and rights all over the place. <laughs> and I'm going to jump into Shavasana. Jump into Shavasana. <laughs> <laughs> uh, in fact, on that note, maybe we can talk a little bit about queuing. I know you had a chat with people recently about queuing. Uh, 
And I, I had this chat actually with uh, a physio, like one of the UK's leading kind of clinical physios about instructions he might give. And the idea being that we might know certain cues to be inaccurate, like from an anatomical perspective, like breathe into the belly, like what, you know, what does that mean <laughs> yeah. from an anatomical perspective? But is it the language our students need to hear to kind of vaguely get them to do a particular action? Uh, and there is a balance to be found. And I always think this is hard when yoga teachers get more knowledge. Sometimes I've seen mm -hmm. then they teach a class that is completely inaccessible. You know, they're talking about muscles and ligaments that students perhaps have no idea. They're... To show off. <laughs> not, no, not to show off. It's more just to use it. To use, to, but to use the knowledge they've acquired, but yeah. not realising then it becomes inaccessible to the average student that does mm. one yoga class a week. Yeah. So I just wondered, what's your view on, I guess, inaccurate anatomical cues that aren't dangerous, but that get students to do a thing that you want them to do? <laughs> I totally agree. I mean, I think for me, I like to train our teachers to be able to understand it, but understanding it's just half of it. Then I be able need to be able to translate it into something that's also succinct because in a yoga class, there's so many different things. This is this is why I love yoga is there's so many different lenses you can look at the practice and the body through and the mind through and the energetic body through. And so you know, I think for me, it's helpful in our, in yoga medicine, you know, we try and teach our teachers to just have some sort of purpose, even if that's just a general, a well-rounded class or mm. lymphatics or, you know, whatever that might be, um, to have some sort of focus so that you can have clarity in that. Otherwise you're kind of all over the place, but then being able to translate it into a, a language that's meaningful to your students. And, you know, if you travel, <laughs> that's like, you know, you know, that's also very different. So I'm watching how things land, um, what's translating well and what's not. You know, if I have a community that I'm teaching to at home, then I might be more familiar with what's landing for the majority of people. And you're never going to have things that land with everyone. Some people are tuning out. Some people might have English as their second language. Some people might just you know, translate things differently. We all, we all translate words in a different way that's meaningful to us. And so um, for me, it's important that our teachers understand <laughs> the body, but the other half is being able to translate it in a way that's relevant and meaningful. And I agree. I mean, I think breathe into your belly is such an easy way to talk about it. And if I can be succinct, that's precious. If I can be succinct and be able to paint a big picture, make something complex, really simple with a few words that aren't totally accurate. Who cares? You know, I'm trying to create, like, I often think of it like healing maps, you know, mm. um, towards from one point to one point, you know, at the beginning of the practice, I feel this way at the end, I want to feel this way, or I want to work on this thing. And so I'm creating a map of how to get there. And it might not be explaining every muscle and joint detail <laughs> or detail of that system, but I want to take them on a road to get to that place. So, um, yeah, are, it's an interesting topic. Are there any cues that you maybe, let's say on your advanced trainings, where people have come from perhaps a different lineage and you hear them using certain cues, you know, they haven't done your foundational training, they've only done, advanced, uh, only done the advanced with you, that you catch and that actually, no, that, that is <laughs> potentially injurious, giving that cue. Don't, <laughs> like common cues, let, all the common analogies, like in Badakanasana, open your feet like the pages of a book. You love that one, don't and, you? Yeah. <laughs> that, <laughs> co common cues or cues you hear, or I, I you know, for me, I hate the word sink into, 
And whenever I hear anyone say sink into the... Unless really? It's, <laughs> unless it's Shavasana. <laughs> I hate that. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> but is there anything that you think, oh, that sets but off alarm But that's the thing. Is, like, everyone has their things that drive them crazy. Yeah. And there's no way to know it all. And even like when we talk about trauma, everyone has very different triggers. And there's no way to know. There's obviously some that are more common that you might avoid. But there's no way of knowing. I mean, you kind of have to stick to your lane as a teacher, I think, to decide what's valuable to you. But as far as, you know, in teacher trainings, we actually, I actually rarely teach in quotes specific cues what i really like to do is teach our teachers how to understand the body mm. and then because we do have teachers from all over the world they then go and translate into language that's meaningful for them like even tuck the tailbone you know like there was a long wave of you know mm. negativity around that which i agree with i think for a while at the beginning no one you know like in the 90s people didn't really know how to access their core that much and so you know really exaggerating it and tucking the tailbone was interesting and helpful and then we kind of like started getting into this flat back scenario where everyone was overly exaggerating mm -hmm. that tucking of the tailbone and becoming really rigid and then we kind of came away from it but you know there's still a place for it there's still going to be people who don't know how to lengthen their tailbone or lengthen <laughs> the skin of their tailbone you know and it's like they need to hear tuck the tailbone mm. and so one we have different bodies and i think different things will land differently in different bodies two we have different interpretations of sink into the floor yeah. <laughs> <laughs> melt into the floor like i love that analogy it's of more for me like sink into wobby like sink into warrior too in kind of load bearing yeah. poses is where it gets me <laughs> because it's not like passive yeah, I feel, I feel that in Warrior 2, when people sink into it, they're just loading. There's no, there's very little engagement going on. They're kind of <laughs> that's so interesting, though, because I've not really thought of it like that before. That's sink to you. That's what that means. But for someone else, sink might might be I'm actually engaging and it might mean Go something. Deeper. Yeah, exactly. Well, mm. and if you sink, you still have to engage. It's not that you have the opportunity, but for some people, maybe that's letting go of their tendency to clench and grip. Mm, yeah. mm. And for others yeah. like you, it's like... No, I like to really feel strong and <laughs> That's supported. so interesting. Yeah, I've not thought of it like that before. I like what you said before about, you know, you're not teaching people cues, but teaching people more an understanding. It reminds me of that whole idea of, you know, give a man a fish, he'll eat for a day. <laughs> give him, yeah. Teach a man how to fish. And if, if ever actually teaching people to understand a pose and, they, and everything they need is in the room based on what they can see yeah. from their students. Yeah, that's that's actually something that I feel like I refer to a lot. It's really important to me to teach our teachers. I My goal is to teach them to know what I know so that they can do what they need to do. Mm. They can go and apply different styles. I think there's so much beauty in the yoga world right now. There's so many great teachers and different styles and ways of doing things. What I want to do is just give my our teachers the lens of the body, the physical body, the physiological body, the energetic body, so that then they can have... Um, this lens through which they can better decipher what techniques or styles or approaches might be better for certain students. Because our whole focus is really therapeutics, which for me isn't just restorative. It's really about meeting the individual. And mm. so I, I have to have some different tools in my tool belt. And it's not like cookie cutter approaches really don't work that well in a therapeutic setting because everyone is so different. Every body is so different. Every interpretation is so different. And so... Um, yeah, so I for me is it's really going deeper and teaching them the what, why, and how behind it, mm. so that then I'm going to give examples of how to do something, but then they can go and like their brains can explode with ideas, <laughs> mm. which is fun. Can we yeah. talk a little bit about how you decided to blend Western and Eastern medicine? 
I just think there's such an important place for anatomy and physiology. I mean, I did my pre-med and went to Chinese medicine school and specialized in sports medicine. And so for me, I've always really loved the physicality. There's something about anatomy that's, well, I think the more you study, it's it's more cut and dry, but <laughs> there is something that's really clear, like math about it. Mm -hmm. um, and so I, I love that part of the body, but I think, you know, there's, there's so much more to it. And mm -hmm. I really believe that if Krishnamacharya was around now, he would be applying, I mean, this is my opinion, of course, that he <laughs> would be using those resources and applying that understanding of the body in a way that that still honors and respects mm -hmm. the lineage of yoga. I think it's it's so hard because we often vacillate between one far end of that spectrum and the other, like all research, which by the way, is very limiting. If you rely on research and evidence-based research for everything, you're never going to do anything. Mm. Never. like <laughs> You're never going to do anything because even the best research only tells you one little thing about one point in time, about one demographic. And then it's up to you to apply that to the work that you do, especially with yoga, because there's very little great research in the yoga world because it costs millions of dollars and takes years and years to mm. do one tiny research study. And so, you know, I think if we wait for just the research, it's pretty dry. And so for me, it's that balance of still living in the mystery. There's so much to this. We've done this for hundreds of years. We know that there's something to it. And being able to understand it, when I can put this lens of the this Western lens to it, I can, for me at least, I can better understand when and why I might use certain techniques as we start to understand better how these things influence the body. And, and then, I mean, ultimately, you still just have to experiment, hopefully do no harm first, safely experiment and see what works and, and find what's most helpful. We're, we're quite attached, aren't we, in, in the West to knowing not just that things work, but why they work as mm -hmm. well. And I, I, like, and that used to be me. I needed the why to everything. And then I, I, I read it, was it penicillin or something similar to penicillin. And I didn't realize that for years, they used it as a drug, but not knowing in any way how it did what it did. Mm. And <laughs> and then I started to think, well, actually, Holly's sound journey, like Holly and I are quite different. You know, Holly's more hippie, sound healing, the moon's doing this. We Let's blame, let's blame the moon for all of our woes. And I, <laughs> I'm kind of like anatomical and reason and why. But then I started to think, well, you know, with sound healing, you know, I don't necessarily go down the route for some of the science behind it as written down. But then I started to reflect, actually, you don't need, you don't need to. It clearly it has a profound effect on some people. It, it, it brings yeah. them emotional insight. It brings them relaxation. We don't need to know and the power exactly of the, how. The mind yeah. is so powerful as and well. And we might never know um, how it does what it does. And it's okay, it's good to be kind of okay with that, isn't it? There is science yeah. behind it, by the way, but... Okay, questionable. <laughs> well, and it's fun when we it's do not. learn some of those tidbits, when like you clearly experience something, you know, it's very obvious for people who practice yoga, whether that's whatever realm or aspect or sound baths, like it's, it's visceral. You feel mm. it. There's mm -hmm. no denying mm -hmm. that. And that is your truth. You know, we talk about truth and oftentimes that becomes kind of blurred, I think, with with evidence-based research and science, but truth, like think about all the people in any given research that don't respond, mm. <laughs> Yeah, you know, and the placebo effect, as far as the power of yeah, the mind, exactly. there's a whole department of placebo at Harvard, you know, that studies this. It's and the nocebo pretty... as well, of course. 
Of course. Yeah. <laughs> and so it's pretty mind blowing. And mm. but it is really cool when we do learn some tidbits of that. Like there is coherence within the fascial system. And I believe, you know, you know, there's a lot of lens we can look at it through, but you know, there's this vibration that is coherent throughout the body mm-hmm. and is communicating. And yeah, we'll learn, we'll learn more. And it's fascinating. There's a quote that's just come into my head and it's one that I love and it's, I can't remember who said it, but it's uh, truth is that which cannot be spoken in words. Hmm. I feel like that just needed to be said. I like that one. <laughs> I love that. I love you guys have such a good, I love the balance of the two of you. Yeah, we, we, we're different, but actually we're quite, we're quite similar in all the right ways. But talking, talking yeah. about kind of yoga, med- you know, what you do, bridging the gap between kind of yoga and Western medicine. And from, I read some of the, you know, part of what you wanted to do is actually make, yo- make doctor, well, help doctors to understand what yoga could be but also actually make yep. sure that they are then going to teachers that maybe teach in a way that you can you can you yeah. can recommend because that could be a problem sometimes can't it that doctors are increasingly in the uk at least prescribing movement in a sense i think you know, do tai chi do do pilates do, just move you need to move your body mm. but then sometimes kind of prescribing yoga but they but doctors don't really understand the scope of what yoga could be and, you know, and then yeah. a, peg- a pregnant woman who is a triathlete and they're fit and they said, well, you should do some yoga and suddenly turns up in like a dynamic handstandy vinyasa class, mm. having never done any yoga before or alike. And you know, I guess the question is there, like, how, how has that work gone? How, how has your contact with the medical community in terms of do- uh, clinical you know, the doctors, yeah. what do you call them in America? You don't call them doc- the doctor that you would just see is like a, fa- a family doctor. Yeah. Is it a family doctor you would yeah. call it? Primary care, physician, doctor. I mean, doctor's a product, more broad, broad one because that can include doctorates. Yeah. <laughs> but I guess the question there is how have you managed to persuade them to kind of prescribe more yoga? And what kind of yoga have you told them? And what have you told yeah. them about yoga? What does a doctor listening to this need to understand about yoga and what it could be? Well, I think first off, anyone who's familiar at all with yoga, any healthcare provider that's familiar at all with yoga knows that referring someone to yoga is negligent, especially in the US where we have a lot of liability and malpractice, which is somewhat everywhere, but especially here, um, because they could end up doing handstands, they could end Mm. up in Ashtanga, they could end up in Yin, they could end up in chanting or, you know, like all of which could be positive or negative for certain people. And so because I think there is such a spectrum, like with Pilates, it's a little more straightforward. With Tai Chi, Mm. it's a little more, you kind of know what they're getting. Of course, there's always variables and different teachers and different styles of things, but um, it's a little bit more straightforward. But with yoga, there's such a broad variety of tools that can be used. Um, So, you know, when I first started seeing patients uh, in my Chinese medicine practice, when I lived in Portland, I had... um, a nice group of people that I would refer people to. And a lot of the healthcare providers that I worked with were really interested in yoga and really wanted to be able to refer people to it. And, you know, so I was kind of chewing on this and I was leading teacher trainings at the time and wanting to bridge that gap. And really for me, I mean, it's really our purpose at yoga medicine is to, to train our teachers to a deeper level so that they can interact with the healthcare providers and provide a therapeutic resource by being able to individualize the practice. And so for me, that's kind of, I mean, that's the role that we've played. That was the best way that I could find to bridge that gap for people. Now we have like tens of thousands of teachers around the world. So it's a little bit more realistic that people can type in their postal code and find someone near them. Or now we have online so people can find people online. But I would say 
like a quarter of the teachers in our teaching community too are also healthcare providers of some sort. So um, that could be mental health. We have surgeons, anesthesiologists, we have ER docs, primary care docs. Uh, Yeah. So we have a a broad variety and some, some use it with their patients. Some also teach yoga. I know there's always a few that are just really interested and curious and want to learn more and um, end up teaching maybe at some point, but yeah, for me, that's the only way to bridge the gap that I can personally attain is mm. being able to really um, provide these resources of people who really understand how to meet the individual. Um, yeah. Have you had when you when you set up the kind of the brand name Yoga Medicine? Was there ever any kind of kind of blowback or negative comments on that? And kind of how did you respond to that at all? No, not I mean, not that I can think of. No. Just a context, right? <laughs> the, the reason I'm asking that is maybe it's maybe it's a different interpretation in the UK, but there is maybe problems in the past where yoga teachers have kind of acted like doctors, oh, and yes. then and then if they're not familiar with you, uh, like I'm just thinking someone cold not familiar with you, think oh yoga medicine is that is that a medical? Are they qualified doctors and alike? So I just wondered if you had any reaction to that to that name no no but we're i'm so super clear that it's not our job to be their healthcare provider Mm. and that's that's the that's the slippery slope right like we're training them like in our shoulder or hip module whatever we're talking about the anatomy and the the joint structure and the function but we're also talking about common injuries we're taking them through an evaluation so there is this sense of like feeling like they could be in control of their healthcare, and so i'm so super clear that to be clear that you're not a healthcare provider. In <laughs> fact, in the Amer- in America, I think, well, years ago, the only cases of um, uh, of liability issues against yoga teachers were when they thought they were a healthcare provider. Mm. Um, they had been like in a chiropractor's office or something like that, and they assumed that they were a doctor and had hurt themselves. So, um, you know, I think it's really clear. And I also think that it's really important to, you know, we used to have these trainings and I'd have people go home where they always, there was always a handful of people who wanted to go on into some healthcare specialty, like go to med school or go to acupuncture school. And, you know, over the years, I feel like how I've taught maybe has changed a little bit too, but I think we really need to honor and protect this role of a teacher that doesn't have to be anything more than that, that Mm. can live in the mystery with people, that doesn't have to have all the answers, that yes, has a thorough understanding of the body to be able to kind of like adapt and adjust, you know, to the individual, but can really honor and respect the fact that they don't need to know it all. They don't need to have the answers. They're not a doctor. They're not there to diagnose. They're not there to treat. But there's such an important support supportive modality along this journey because most doctors only spend five five minutes maybe with their patients. Mm. Even physical therapists are lucky to get like ten sessions. And so, as a yoga teacher, we get to spend so much more time and fill a very important gap in the medical system that is really about this comes full circle the journey <laughs> and all the other parts about our health that our healthcare doesn't look at. Mm. You know, the joy, the gratitude, the contentment, the appreciation of the energetic systems that are so important that we can't quantify. And that is is medicine, joy, gratitude. That is a form of medicine, isn't it? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So you found yoga very young. I think you were early teens, weren't you? 14? Yeah. So I'm curious, have you kept up an asana practice all that time and how has it sort of changed and evolved not just your asana but your your spiritual practice how has your yoga practice evolved over the years 
so much. And I think I think that's the only thing that's probably mandatory. Well, not mandatory. Everyone's journey is different. And I can appreciate that. But from what I've seen as a teacher, I think the biggest place people get stuck if they practice over several decades of their life is feeling like they need to stick with one thing. Mm. You know, you see that you probably I'm sure you see this too, like the people who like have to go back and do this specific whatever practice it is, Bikram, Ashtanga, yin, even Yin, you know, like it could be any of those. And yeah, mine's changed a lot. I'm, I'm, you know, I think I've learned to take the pressure off feeling like I have to practice because mm. I know when I feel like I have to, it, it takes the joy out of it for mm. me. But I also know how much it changes my life. And so even every day. So for me, I mean, I just like to find something every day. I mean, usually it's usually it's an hour practice and involves movement because I'm at my computer a lot these days. Yeah. But, you know, some days that might be more myofascial release or pranayama or meditation. I think it's important to take the guilt away. I know when I first started, I did my first teacher training at the Expanding Light, the Ananda Institute, which is very different than how I teach now. And um it was kind of, I was 16 at the time and it wow. was kind of like mandatory to meditate for an hour or two a day. Wow. And I had this kind of ingrained in me, like I had to do it. And after like a year, I just was like, I can't do this anymore. I kept teaching and practicing yoga, but I stopped meditating until I found that I wanted to come back to it. And I did mm -hmm. a Vipassana retreat and fell in love with it. And, wow, you know, and that changed things. But for me, I think I found that really on that if I force myself to do something, it really takes a lot of the joy out of it. And because yoga is my joy and my hobby and my work and my everything, <laughs> I don't want that to happen. <laughs> what, do you, what do you do for fun? Like what non-yoga, non-work related <laughs> stuff do you do for fun? For fun. Yeah, I know. I had a boyfriend who gave me a really hard time because I didn't have hobbies. And I was like, <laughs> I, he was a yoga teacher, actually. And um, I was like, it kind of got under my skin because I thought, like, why do I have to have a hobby? I love my job. Mm. Um, anyways, for fun, I mean, I just getting outside, going for a hike, going skiing, oh, yeah. um, spending time with my partner, watching a movie, cooking. I like to cook. Mm. I go through phases of cooking. Well, on, but... on that note, would you recommend that most yogis, asana practitioners, do something else but do another movement modality mm. would you say that's important and if so kind of what what perhaps is considered miss missing in typical yoga now of course there are extremes like if someone just does, just does yin you know they need some strength building but let's say yeah. someone does a smorgasbord of yoga what would you say what activities might be beneficial for, for their body yeah would you say you know, I think it really just depends on what's important to the person. It's so easy these days to, you know, look online and, and hear things, especially with the fitness world blending into yoga a lot now um, and always feel like we need to do more. Now, I do think as we get older, you know, we, we know that muscles, muscle strength declines, especially, you know, past your 40s and 50s and so on. So I, I think it's easy just to go in and do some weightlifting. But I mean, there's so many different ways to train your body. If you really look at like, if I want to optimize my physical body and train it to the highest capacity, like I've worked with a lot of professional athletes, like there's so many things to look at and it can literally consume your whole day, mm. <laughs> right? To not just train the muscular tissue, but the connective tissue and then the cardiovascular health and then on and on and on and on you know, nutrition and, um, there's just, 
There's so much. So I, I think there's a contentment with knowing that, you know, yo- yoga can be enough if you're looking for ways to challenge yourself. Obviously, if I'm just doing um, a really gentle practice, I'm probably going to need, especially as I get older, some strength work and maybe some cardiovascular challenges. But I think the way to summarize it, the easiest is just to remember that your body is trained to what you do. And mm. so train for what you love and, you know, find what find what is important and works for you. And that might change a lot. I'm wondering what your thoughts are on enjoying exercise, because this is where Adam and I differ. <laughs> I cannot. Adam will say, you need to do some cardio, get in the shed and get on the bike and do 20 minutes. And I, I this don't This sounds want like to. a slightly abusive relationship here. That's not... <laughs> Holly has not whip. once gone and did any cardio. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I, I, if I do cardio, it has to be like an hour of dance or something that I enjoy. You know, I, I cannot yeah. just do exercise for the sake of getting my body stronger. It has to have some kind of joy. Otherwise, I just feel like it's a waste of time. Whereas Adam's like, no, yeah. I know I need to get stronger. This is how it's, I'm going to get stronger I, if I, I do this, I, this just, and that. Just to, to balance that out, like for me, <laughs> most of my learning about myself, and I've done yoga for a very long time, but most of my learning has been through long distance endurance stuff. It's like a microcosm of life. Like running 100 kilometers, you go through a lot. <laughs> and then she's there playing sound balls and learning. Yeah, loving life, just like, woo. <laughs> <laughs> in and another then, world in another dimension yeah i learned a lot there and i'm i'm fine <laughs> i mean i've i've swung so far back and forth in this realm especially being in sports medicine and working with athletes and you know now i just feel like life is precious and you need to really do what you love and yes if you're sitting all day you need to do something mm. to move mm. and i really believe as a as a healthcare provider like we we know that movement is such an important thing for every basically health disease or scenario um we know how important that is for so many reasons so i think because of that my translation is i think kind of like you said holly is i really think people need to find something they love because and in chinese medicine the enjoyment of exercise is actually really important for the liver as well, which is kind of like what moves and regulates that flow through the body and is so important for our stress regulation. And so through a Chinese medicine lens, it's very important that you find movement and activities that you enjoy. Like I worked at Nike for seven years and I just remember so many people would come in, you know, and be like, oh, I need to lose weight. I need to get back into running. And they were like, oh, I've got to get back into running. And I'm like, well, if you love running, great, do it. But if you don't, there's plenty of other ways Mm. to, you know, feel healthier, get Mm -hmm. better, you know. Um, And also, I think changing that mindset of like, having to lose weight versus mm. wanting to be healthy and feel good. Totally, yeah. And if you change that lens and find like dance is a great way to stimulate cardiovascular system, your brain. It's mm-hmm. so good because you're learning new movements and coordinating them, which is similar with yoga too. You know, I think, and kind of the flowy choreographed flows that we do are very great yeah. for the mind and the brain yeah. connection. So, oh, man, you know, I really, I'm speaking about yoga. I just miss it now because obviously I haven't really done, I mean, I've tried a few classes and Sonny just wakes up crying when he's, when he's asleep upstairs. So I have to go up and miss the whole class. So I really miss being on the mat. <laughs> I read it just to like to drop the name of a book and I read a book called Exercised recently. Uh, I think it's by like a Harvard professor. Uh, mm. It's a new release and you know, talk, a big chunky book just about kind of exercise theory, uh, mass market, but still a chunky book. And, uh, you know, one thing that reading that really prompted me is that actually a lot of the exercise I'm doing now is to be healthy. Like the, the impetus is actually I, w- I want to live a long time 
optimally. No, I don't. I don't want to live long. You know, in a, in a, in, yeah. you know, in a wheelchair for the last twenty years of my life. And I want to live a long time optimally for the sake of my son, and to be healthy yeah. for that. And that is that's motivation for me now. And also slightly to be like a superhero for him. No. <laughs> yeah, yeah the anyway. health span. I, you're not lifespan. Yeah. Yeah. Can we talk a little bit? We kind of alluded to it earlier the importance of being aware of your own ignorance, as it were. Like the limits of your knowledge, mm. I think, is a mm. super important skill. And I think to some degree there is an increasing death of expertise, like an unwillingness to listen to experts in the world. And, you know, you need to go... Really? And say, oh, yeah, massively. Certainly, and people, you know, I think often people think that their, their opinion, having read a few newspaper articles... Is, adva- is sometimes as valid as a person that studied that topic for years. Is this social media you're seeing this? Well, no, just all over. There is, there is actually a wonderful oh. book that was written a few years ago called The Death of Expertise that tackles this. And I'm a firm believer. I I want to always refer to experts. Like I always try my yeah. best to say, actually, I don't want to have a strong opinion on this because I in no yeah. way know enough about it. But I think it's much like anyone can call themselves a uh, nutritionist. That's very in the UK at least. There is no there is no body saying who can be a nutritionist. You someone could do a two hundred hour course. Someone could study it for five years. Someone could do a five hour course and, and call themselves yeah. a nutritionist. Yoga teachers too. Well, indeed, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so I think I think that is very problematic uh, to some degree. And and I do think people need to be encouraged to acknowledge the limits uh, of, of their knowledge. And I guess my question there was more about your students when you send them out to the world to be teachers how would you get them or what's the advice you know when when a student says to them okay i've got back pain how can i deal with this what can i do with that do you say to them actually you know what you should do is get that person just to go to a physio or go to a doctor or do you get them to work with that person on a one-on-one level or like in my, my general strategy is how can i make it not hurt in yoga and you know, if if it really persists, maybe see a doctor or a physio or a healthcare professional. But yeah. if if a yoga teacher tells you quickly what you need to do to solve your back pain, ignore them. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> general, general advice, yeah. Oh my god, I feel like there's so many different directions I wanted to go with what you just said, <laughs> and I don't know where I'm going to end up going. <laughs> but I agree. I think. It's so important. And I think the only time I get nervous about teachers who graduate, and it's pretty rare now, I feel like yoga medicine teachers, I think are kind of known for being not only good resources, but also very humble and open-minded and really knowing how important it is to work with the medical system and not instead of it. Obviously, there's students who are going to refuse medical care and want to do things their own way. And that, that happens. But Um, you know, I think it is important to know our limitations. The tricky part is you have to know a little bit to know what you don't Mm -hmm. know. Yeah. And so for me, it's, it's a dedication to continuing to learn and kind of staying open to the mystery and knowing that we don't know. And it's important. And I think, you know, for all those teachers who have imposter syndrome, I think imposter syndrome is a very important thing. It reminds you, it humbles you Mm. and keeps you searching and learning. And you should be experiencing that because we don't know it all. And, you know, as far as experts go, I think they're so precious and so important um, to have because without experts in any study, like now, medicine is so specialized, so specialized. It's almost hard to be a GP. It's like a a general practitioner. It's like you have to know so much. But the other thing is when you start talking to specialists, people who are researching 
one field their whole lives. Like oftentimes I'll talk to scientists or research. I was talking to, to one guy at the department of placebo and at Harvard and all the studies he had done. And I was like, I want you to come. And he was going to lead a talk for yoga medicine, which didn't end up happening. It was a long time ago. Um, I want you to come and talk about the power of the mind. And he's like, Oh no, I can't talk to that. I don't study that. <laughs> like, mm. You know, because researchers are so, and specialists are so focused. They have the horse blinders on to only seeing this thing. And so that's why it's beautiful to see like integrative medicine providers coming up that are looking at the whole body, but there's, it's so hard. It's mm. so hard to get that, that big picture perspective because the specialists go so deep, which is why, you know, in our trainings, we go like really deep into each area, like lymphatics or nervous system or shoulder or just go deep and then come back out the other side and keep looking at the big picture. But, you know, when people have pain, I mean, for us, we have like a course that people do that's called red flags. So they know when to refer out. Um, and it's, it's pretty straightforward, but I think, you know, asking part of our intake is asking if they've seen a doctor, if they've had treatments, if they've had a diagnosis and, you know, anytime there's red flags, making sure that you're encouraging them to go and see someone else. I think that's really important. Um, you know, helpful because mm -hmm. <laughs> there is so much that yoga can do. However, you know, it's not a cure-all. Mm -hmm. It's kind of related what are your thoughts on at the start of class saying, has anyone got any injuries? Mm. <laughs> oh, it's such a loaded question because the, <clears throat> the reality is if I have people who have injuries, am I going to change my whole practice? One. And two, like you said, if someone comes up and is like, I have low back pain, I always joke in our courses, like at the end of this, it's going to be like impossible for you to answer that mm -hmm. because there's no way of knowing. And after seeing thousands of low back patients, because that's what I've seen a lot of in my career, um, there's definitely some commonalities that we can draw. And it's really helpful to provide these resources of like three poses for your low back pain so that people can try it out and find things who don't have the privilege of being able to pay for or have the time for privates or have someone near them. Um, so I think it's helpful. It makes it accessible. However, the reality is there's no way of knowing like to be like, oh, do this for your back pain. Like, hmm. well, there's 500,000 other things that might be helpful too. <laughs> Maybe it's just the mind. <laughs> yeah, my yeah. if, if, if you were to ask, you're going to say the same thing to people anyway, which are going to don't do anything yes. that hurts. Just adapt to Oh yeah, sorry, the injuries, yeah. yeah. And I, my <laughs> yeah, theory you're is... not going to change your whole class. And I don't know if I've got a hamstring injury and a back injury and a shoulder injury. One, how am I going to know, like, is their shoulder injury like they can't weight bear on their mm. hands? Am I going to do a whole class of non-weight bearing? Is it just that they can't come into Gomu or they have trouble going into Gomukhasana? Like, there's such a broad... Yeah, I agree. I don't, I don't ask that at the beginning if people come up to me, like I have low back pain, like I'll give them some suggestions of things to pay attention to. Um, or after class, I always find it really helpful. Like if someone comes up after class and is like, Oh, that was so helpful. Great. Like tune into whatever it was that, you know, mm. you engaged or were, cause it's not usually a pose, mm. right? It's like maybe a new way of thinking. Mm. On that, there's one, I think just for teachers out there, so it's kind of, it is a slight liability risk as well in that, if I ta if I'm a student and I've told you my injury, whatever that yeah. might be, like I've got a Liz Frank rupture. Like number one, you probably don't don't know what it is anyway. Particularly, wouldn't know how to look after it. But at the, at the same time, I think the a, a real issue is 
if someone, ta- I, I assume if I've told the teacher they're going to look after me. And if I've, if yeah. I've, as a teacher, if I spoke to like six blonde girls wearing the same Lululemon, <laughs> I 100% have forgot who's got what going on. And so I, I, I'm wearing, then they injure themselves and they assume that I was looking yeah. after them because I asked about their injury and said that I, I agree. would. <laughs> I totally agree. And I think for me, the most important thing is empowering people to be their own teacher. Mm-hmm. And like, I think we get into trouble when we start to come into this guru mentality of like, it's hard because, you know, there is there is a comfort in a teacher just telling you what to do. Mm-hmm. However, it doesn't leave that space for people to find their own way. So for me, it's a really, really <laughs> gray balance of being able to one empower people so that they know that they're always the options to modify and adjust as they need and listen to their body. And that is by far the most important, but then sometimes being really specific about how to do things can be calming to the nervous system. And sometimes offering a lot of options can be really helpful. Like I think there's a place for both. Um, and as a teacher, like if you give options on everything, it just leaves everyone like confused, a little confused. Mm. Should we do? But some, yeah, I was just gonna say, should we do some quick fire questions? Yeah, we're gonna do some quick fires now because time is Ooh, flying. It's gone so quickly. Just before we do that, I just want to say that book that I mentioned. It's called Exercise. Just wanted to name check the guys called Daniel Lieberman, who is a professor. Oh yeah, uh, you know him. He's an excellent presenter. He um, was a keynote presenter at one of the two of a couple of the fashion conferences. He's amazing yeah yeah oh, the, but the book's good. so well written it's, it's entertaining which is surprising yeah. considering the content and how deep it goes it's surprising and i think it's a relatively recent book but yeah quick fires fire away we'll put, the, put it in the show notes uh you asked your community a question on instagram so i'd like to reflect it back to you and that is what makes you feel most alive mm, connecting with other people connecting with my breath connecting with myself Feeling that I think I say this a lot in Shavasana is like feeling what's alive in me makes me feel alive, which is kind of redundant, I guess. It's perfect. Are there any recovery tools that people could purchase that might help them in their either their yoga practice or just in their body, like little little accessories they could buy? Well, I'm a big fan of myofascial release, so I actually made I designed it's their product. Um recovery balls with uh rad rollers and they're softer and a little smaller than most myofascial balls which is really nice for helping to rejuvenate the tissues rather than just like lacrosse balls for breaking up scar tissue in quotes um in quotes (laughs) um i'm a big fan of that i love foam rollers softer ones for recovery um even just like a couple of minutes of deep diaphragmatic breathing can be a great recovery cool tool Mm. at the end of a intense workout session which is fun what are you grateful for today? Oh, I'm grateful for my husband and my family and my ability to move and breathe and do what I love and have this community that I love too. Beautiful. And can you tell us a little bit about any upcoming trainings? You certainly need to be quick far, go into it as much as you mm-hmm. want, but any upcoming trainings and where to find you? Well, we have a brand new training coming out on lymphatics, which is an area that is very poorly studied and (laughs) poorly understood and also almost never talked about, I think, in the yoga realm. So we talk on that and I've got a we have a breast cancer surgeon for like 30 some years um, teaching about lymphedema and working with lymphedema. 
Um, I have a TCM course coming up. What else? TCM, as, there's as in traditional Chinese, Chinese medicine. medicine. Just... Oh, sorry, yes. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> right, there's the, there's the interpretation. You know that happens sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I... Um, I have books. We have all sorts. We have, I mean, we have all of our teacher trainings online now. So anything from the nervous system to yin and meditation to lymphatics to shoulder, hip, spine, fascia, Functional anatomy, MFR. I'm sure I'm missing some, it. but there's a bunch of trauma. And where, oh, what? female health, which is again another topic I that is that. what email health. Like email health, female fee with an F. <laughs> <laughs> you wouldn't what? understand. What is, this product, what is this productivity thing you're talking about? <laughs> yes. And where can people where can people find you? What's your Instagram? Your website? Yeah, it's all yoga medicine. Yogamedicine.com is everything from practice to, to trainings and books. And then um, on Instagram and Facebook and Twitter, it's yoga medicine. I think it's yoga underscore medicine. Mm-hmm. And you have a personal one as well, don't you? That is, But you share I do. yoga content. Not personal as in seeing your personal life, but it is kind of yoga content. It's on more there. personal. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's a little more personal. I, I, I disagree. I've heard some, uh, with the limp thing, I've heard some wonderful teaching about handstands and draining lymphatic system. <laughs> yeah, That's the most I've ever heard. It's that awful instruction. It's definitely <laughs> one of many ways to support it. Yeah. There's that, so many. Yeah, I think that's one of those. That's one of those parroting things, isn't it? That people just hear and one teacher say it at one point and just keep saying it. Honestly, I would love to see some research come on vibration and um, the sound bath and stuff for lymphatic. Because one of the things I love to use is a chi machine, which is basically you lay down and you put your ankles in it and it rocks them back and forth. Oh, how nice! It's just this little vibration. But I'm in my. This is my opinion, but like. It's basically just creating that vibration. We can mm. create it in yoga. There's ways to create that vibration. Sound baths are creating that vibration in the body, which is helping to encourage that coherence. And mm-hmm. um, it would be interesting to see how it influences lymphatics. I don't know of any research. I doubt there is any, but I'm going to have to look, have a look at that. Does. Yeah. Awesome. Well, it's thank been you such so a much. pleasure to chat. And uh, hopefully when we're when you're in London, we will catch you. I've always meant to yes. over the years, but never quite had a chance to do it. Uh, I'm like a, a September London goer usually for tr- teaching. So, so try yoga. Hopefully we'll see you in try yoga at some point yeah. next year. Yes, and thank you for having me. I love having the conversations and just getting to chat a little with some teachers. It's been a pleasure. <laughs> thank you. Honestly, I'm balanced.